This just in. Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. I'm Darren. I'm Andrew. And this week we're doing a This Just In special on Luca Guadagnino's uh, 2017 hit. I know, in one as well. Uh, don't worry, this movie has... may not have nailed it. I may not have nailed it. And I may not have been sincere. Thank <laughs> you. Thank you, Andrew. No, we're um, doing our best. We are doing our I best. I was going to say, Luca, Go for just it. kind of pause and wait for you to finish it. <laughs> yeah, this so is... So I, I certainly didn't do any better. There are going to be a lot of Ansel Elgort's on this particular podcast. It also stars Timothy uh, Chalamet. And it's an adaptation of Andre Asiman's uh, 2007 novel as well. I, I, I think those were those those were good. Oh. I'm always like questioning your pronunciation, but not actually having any uh, better <laughs> uh, pronunciation to to offer. Perfect. Well, Call Me by Your Name is the film that we're covering. It was released. It was first premiered at Sundance in January 2017. It was released in the states in November 2017, where it went on to have the highest per screen gross of any movie to that point in the year I think to the end of the year as well it surpassed Lady Bird had been the previous record holder for 2017 um, it's been rapturously received there's a, a huge online following of people who love it and one of the things that's been interesting is it's been gradually creeping into the 250 because when we do this podcast I think Andrew has noted in the past that I tend to keep track of films as they're sort of approaching the threshold of breaking into the list yeah yeah um, I've, I've noted that and um, and Andrew, on the other hand, has a more laissez-faire attitude to podcasts. But I like to keep track of what's coming in and, and what we may be covering in the weeks yeah, ahead. I think it's important to have somebody on the IMDb uh, two, 250 podcast who doesn't care about the list whatsoever. <laughs> I did not know what movie we were going to see. It was fantastic. We arrived at the cinema. It was... Um, I was like, what is this? Is this uh, Coco? Uh, no, hold on. I know this. And, it's Crimea, right? Um, and, and then when I told him the name, you're like, wait, what, what's this again? What's <laughs> Because it is one of the things I, I, I knew very little about this movie. I, 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 the only thing I had heard was a kind of a hint of what kind of movie it, it could be, but that 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 hint could have could have meant numerous things. Could have gone any direction. I yeah. assume the hint was that you knew it was an indie film rather than a blockbuster and maybe a love story in particular. Yeah, the, 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 the hint that I got is I, I was in uh, Upright Citizens Brigade. I was, in, I was in Los Angeles and there's a show there called um, Ascat. Which is which, which? 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 is an old show. It used to be um, Amy Poehler, Matt Besser, Matt Walsh, and Ian Roberts. They're, they're That's kind quite of, an f- impressive cadre. Yeah. Improv, improv, is it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So the, 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 um, that night it was it was Matt Besser, Matt Walsh, and others. Who, Matt Walsh who, still does it. Yes. Yes. That's yes. Impressive. He does. Matt, Matt, Matt Walsh. People will probably know from Veep. Yeah, for and, example, yeah, and lots of other things. He was in, for example, Brigsby Bear recently as well. He's he's having. I mean, that's why I'm surprised he's still doing improv. I I would have assumed that he'd be in the midst of a moment, so to speak. I suppose he he'd probably next to Amy Poehler. Obviously, he'd he he's one one of the uh, breakout stars. Yeah, so to speak. yeah. But um, they they were giving out these kind of um, screener um, or no, not screeners, the scripts for for the um, Golden Globes. Because because they're writers, they get given these scripts, and they were, oh. and they they ask people to hold up their hands to see, um, how many of them had seen the the nominees for the uh for the for the best picture, and then and then they were saying, I wonder if we can guess who's seen which movies. And then they were, so what are we going to be 
profiling <laughs> the people <laughs> according to what movie they've seen. And then they made some joke about, oh, yeah, there's a few um, call me by your name uh, people over there. And, and, and I guess, oh, they're, they're making some joke about kind of profiling. So I had an idea of what it might be, but I could also have been surprised. Yeah, yeah. And I think, to be honest, one of the things about Call Me By Your Name is it's a film that doesn't rely a lot on surprise. We will have a spoiler zone, obviously, and we'll talk in a bit more depth about the film. But it's a it's a movie that's really lyrical. I saw it for the first time in September, and I quite liked it then. I saw it again tonight, actually, and it's it's really interesting that I'm really glad that we got to do this, that it came in this week, because we got we saw the second last screening at the Lighthouse. Tomorrow night is the last screening at the Lighthouse and then it's basically being retired. Last screening in Dublin until the VHS or home video or DVD or Blu-ray, whatever release in March. So get in a time machine and pick whichever is easiest. So either go back to last uh, Thursday or um, and and by last Thursday, we mean (laughs) the Thursday before we release the podcast. Yeah. Um, Or uh, wait until March. Now, to be fair, it will be releasing earlier in the States. And I think it may be even available on video demand there already. Yeah, it's, um, it's definitely easier to freeze yourself as well. Yeah. You just got to wait out those three months. Yeah. No, a well, month and a half now, to be fair. Ah. Yeah, I know. Time moves quickly and linearly. Especially if you've got American Netflix. <laughs> Show off. Um, but yeah, so it is. And I, mean, I don't have American Netflix. Oh, well, you can't take it back now. But also the fact that it is, uh, because it's rumoured it's it's a strong contender for the Oscars as well, there's every possibility that will it will get a re-release in cinemas as well. So if you haven't seen it, I guess this is a nice segue to talk about it, I would recommend going to see it. I think it's a wonderful lyrical film. What about you, Andrew? I would agree. Um, I, I I guess I kind of had my issues with it, but but I I, I I I thought it was a beautiful movie. It was a very true movie. It, yeah, there 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 was so much stuff I really enjoyed it, like visually. And the the, the um, well, Nino is a fantastic director, and I apologize. We're going to mangle his name repeatedly. That's called yeah. Luca. Luca is a is a fantastic director. This is the third film in what he calls his Loose Desire trilogy, which include um, I Am Love and A Bigger Splash. Yeah, both of which star Tilda Swinton, and both of which look fantastic. I haven't seen either of them. Okay. I don't know why I said yes and no uh, so knowingly. <laughs> Um, but um, there will be a test at the end of this. But they both look lovely. But this one um, in particular, this this one looks fantastic. And I mean, part of that, I think, is down to the fact the cinematography is by. And remember, I said that this is going to be a movie with a lot of names that Darren's going to mangle. So I apologize in advance to Mr. Oh. Sayambu Amukdiprom. Um, who most people uh, may know from his um, his cinematography of Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives, which won the Palm Door, the Cannes Fist, Fel- Fist Festival, Film Festival, <laughs> Fist Festival. Um, it's a very different thing, um, but won the um, the Palm Door at the Cannes Film Festival in uh, 2010, which also looks striking and beautiful. But Call Me By Your Name just looks lovely. It has a wonderful texture to it. <laughs> you were just on a roll of Mr. <laughs> like, that was perfect. Yeah, um, even words. Darren cannot get words out properly at this point. But it is, it's a beautiful film. It's wonderfully, like, it's it's got a very relaxing quality to it. Like, it's it almost like a meditation sort of thing yeah. like it you could leave it playing on it's one of those films that reminds me of there was another film i saw recently where oh it was atomic blonde which is a very different film obviously but has a similar sort of like visually striking you could leave it playing on the background on a television on mute and it would look impressive and it starts and it finishes beautifully it start it starts with these kind of like photographs of of um, antiquity yeah. yeah yeah and then the which sets the, the tone perfectly i think absolutely and and there there's there's so many gorgeous kind of artifacts in in 
in this movie. It's like like the setting is in an Italian town, northern I, Italy in, yes. in 1983, and it's also in a professor's house. Yeah, and it, anyone this who's luxury who's, villa. who's been in 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 a professor's house will know there's lots of those kind of nice objects around. Yeah. Like there's decanters. There's like there, there's there's a very nice stereo. There's lots of really like gorgeous books there's all of these kind of this is the place where indiana jones does the exposition dump before going off to fight nazis sort of exactly yeah Uh, but it looks it's it looks lovely and i mean so for anyone who likes that kind of thing i would like to see an entire movie with a love story uh set in that particular milieu i think that's the way to go and there there, it's it's and, and it's very much um a an an 80s period movie as well yes like there there's there's um and the um, there's a lot of the the visual choices in the movie go along with that as as well as as, color, as well example, as the music yeah, yeah like, like there's kind of like Pastels. double exposure yeah uh, use of uh, negatives yeah as well and all, oh, yeah, all of the things that we kind of like associate are are things kind of um, sort of out of focus there's these things that we associate I guess with old photographs yeah and it's like capture well you know that's actually part of of what Luca did we're actually going to keep calling him Luca but one of the things that he did was they shot this um, on location in a small Italian village when they were location scouting and when they were doing sort of pre-production he made a point to go around and to ask all the local families for photographs uh, from the 80s like so oh, okay. of the parents like when they were younger and stuff in an attempt to like accurately recreate the period in terms of like design and fashion and also just in terms of general lighting and aesthetic so for example he noted that a lot of 80s period films would have gone like all in on shoulder pads and big hair for female characters and there's an element of that but he found that it was only a couple of women in the 80s who were yeah. like that and so there's only yeah, a couple it, of women here and when 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 it becomes kind of pastiche it it yeah. it, 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 it it, it feels kind of um, like it, it. Sorry, to be clear, when when other movies, not this movie, yeah, um, sometimes try to do the same thing, they 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 can kind of veer into pastiche, yeah, and um, sometimes intentionally, but but in in this movie, it felt very kind of real and grounded. Yeah, and the the, the um, real and grounded while also feeling a bit like a memory of it as well, like I yeah, mean, yeah, like yeah, an it, actual it, memory as opposed to a memory filtered through television. Yeah, it, it feels yeah, it feels like something that you can kind of like authentically uh, remember. Like we were born in eighty six and eighty seven, but I I feel like we have some sort of. Um, mild kind of recollection, re- re- recollection. See now you've got it as now well. I've got it. Um, but yeah, um, the soaking of the ambient mood. Almost. Yeah, yeah. But it's interesting you should mention 1987 because the novel uh, was set in 1987. The film was moved back to 1983 um, for for several reasons we'll talk about later on. But it is it's it's a very ambient sort of 80s feel to it. I think in particular, yeah. and it's it's really impressive. I mean, even like little details like the cars, the costuming, like the colors even of the shirts that they're wearing. Like there are scenes of characters. Like the most famous sequence of the film, and it will spoil nothing, is one of the main characters dancing. Yeah, um, and it's kind of it it's... makes eighties music uh, seem probably better than it was. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> <Sorry>. Careful, <laughs> careful now. Darren, Darren, Darren has strong opinions. I wouldn't think of <laughs> now. As I've grown older, I've softened on the eighties. But this, this is this is a very good kind of eclectic choice of 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 music in 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 that they've picked some really. 
Um, well, not not the headline nostalgia cliche stuff. It's like what we were talking about the visual design of the film. Yeah. It doesn't look like a parody of the 80s. It looks like photographs of the 80s. In the same way, I think the soundtrack reflects what you would hear on an 80s station cultivated by somebody who actually remembered the decade rather than somebody who'd grown up with it through like now CDs or best of collections or stuff. Yeah. And I think the sound design makes the the track sound better somehow. Yeah. Like the 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 the, the, the Well, there's a phenomenal attention to the sound design in the film like without getting into too much detail like even things like the the way it captures ambient noise as well. It's got yeah. a great sense of place. Like so buzzing of like insects and stuff as well. The noise that like wind makes as it travels through trees. Like there's a real sense of like I don't want to say memory. I don't want to make it a cliche and say it's a movie about memory, but there is a sense of like sense there's a sensory capacity to this that goes beyond just capturing an image on film and like mixing it like a regular film i think yeah and 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 i suppose some 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 something some something that you've mentioned a bit like i suppose not to fixate just on the way the movie looks and the way the movie sounds there's 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 i guess a huge kind of emotional um kind of impact to this movie and this is this is a a a love story and i found it i found it very kind of true and kind of authentic and genuine i felt and it, it, this this felt like somebody's story that they were telling in in in, in film, film form yeah. well, i mean the, the director um lucas talked about how like he grew up in italy as a gay man and a lot of what he tried to filter through the film was his experiences he obviously didn't have a parallel or direct experience but he wanted to filter some of that through in his experience and his memory of what that was like. Yeah. And there's a sense of, like, there's a real genuine sort of sincerity to the film, I think. There is. And, I, I, I mean, so I, 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 have, I have some kind of uh, discomfort. Oh, I, I, I have some I, reservations yeah, about the film I, I, as well, I, I, but I mean... Around this. But, it, but it, it's... It feels like that was that person's story and, um, and, and, and that's what they're telling. Like the 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 fact that I think it might kind of romanticize certain things that that that's maybe problematic. Um, yeah, is is I suppose unfortunate, but I I, I it's 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 difficult to I suppose criticize it to 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 yeah, actually I, on that. I I suppose we're 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 not getting into particulars and answers. Yeah, yeah. Of, I mean, I would I would agree with that. Like there are aspects of the film that I am I don't I don't want to say uncomfortable with, but there is one aspect I'm I'm uncomfortable with to be frank. And there are other aspects of the film that I recognize as feeling like it it doesn't feel like a very it feels like a romanticized affectionate like version of what the 80s were as opposed to what they might really have been if that makes sense it's, there's a sense of like the film unfolding in a cocoon it's a very warm and very loving film and like one of the things about it and we'll talk a lot about this when we get to the spoiler zone is that one of the interesting arguments that i've read about it is that what makes it so refreshing and so appealing and part of the reason why i think it, it it's really resonated with people like call me by your name has like lattice a generation of of internet people um of people who sort of came of age seem to look to this film and see it as something beautiful and something inspiring and something that really genuinely means something to them in a way that is is like affecting just to watch second hand and i think a large part of that's down to the fact that it eschews a lot of what we expect like from all romances in general but from gay romances in film in particular in that it eschews a lot of the angst a lot of the trauma that i think we tend to see getting woven into like 
gay I mean, coming of age marriage. Yeah, like I mean, like Brokeback Mountain, for example. There is some of that. There's there's no getting around that. But there's it's not as traumatic as say Brokeback Mountain. It's yeah. you know it's it's not as sort of harrowing even as like Moonlight would have been in places. I don't think it yeah. ever like it. It is instead. It's relatively joyful and it's full of characters who support and who love one another. Um, like there's a lot of love in this film in a way that I feel, you know, there, I do have some questions about that. And I do have some sort of like, I think that there's an interesting debate around. I also think that there's a darkness on the edge of the frame that isn't always acknowledged when discussions of the film. I think there's something lurking around the periphery of the film that it, it never talks about and never discusses, but which it's very conscious of, and which I think maybe gives it a poignancy that sort of, you know, resonates with me or sort of allows me to give it a pass on maybe being so saccharine and being so Yeah, sincere. having said that, I don't want to give, I don't want to give this, uh, I, I don't want to in, entirely give this movie movie a pass but yeah. it, and, and 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 it's difficult to kind of um like it it's one of those movies where i'm going to be kind of a, a little bit reticent when talking about it because i don't want my kind of like uh, little, privilege to yeah. i suppose come 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 out but i i've i've i feel like if, if um if i'm being fair i should yeah. feel like there's certain standards of yeah that, no, I mean, that, that i would apply to a different movie that I would also apply to this, yeah. yeah. And there is one one aspect of it in particular that I think that applies to. I wonder if it's the same for you and for me, but we'll probably talk about it when we get to the spoiler zone. Yeah. But I um. Well, I, I I can imagine it would be. Well, I'll 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 reveal what that is like straight into the spoiler zone. Okay. Well, we'll play we'll we'll play sort of like uh, Texas Hold'em, but with uh, with issues with the film. But no, I'm I'm really glad, and I'm really glad to see it come into the list. To be honest, I'm actually surprised that it it managed to stay because when. I mentioned earlier, I keep track of films that are coming to the list. And mm. the way that this normally happens is the first people who see the film are very enthusiastic. And typically you'll see a popular film get like a 9.0 or an 8.8. For, for example, like The Phantom Thread is currently on 8.8 .8 with only 2,000 votes. Or the, Fa the Last Jedi, which was on 9 up until about 15,000 votes and then began to plummet once fans saw it. So you generally see what's happening is the more people see it, the, the vote tends to trend downwards, it tends to get dragged down. And what was interesting watching Call Me By Your Name slowly and gradually tick, and it was a remarkably slow thing, because this has been out at this stage for um, three months, well, if not four Well, it hasn't really months. broken big. Like, you were, you, were, you were saying it was per, per, per screen. Yeah. yeah. Per, um, Highest per screen average in the States last yeah. year. And I mean, it... So it's not... It, uh, like, they're, they're, they're not showing this necessarily in kind of sm small towns across, like... Um, the yeah. entire United States. Yeah. This is only certain, certain of, places. Like like the cinema that we saw it at this evening. But keep in mind the cinema where we saw it at this evening, it has been there for at this stage three months, which is remarkable for a film of this size. And, oh, the, wow. and when we saw it this evening, which was the penultimate showing, yeah. the screen wasn't empty. It wasn't just the two no. of us. The screen was surprisingly busy as well, which Yeah. Like and well, I, I suppose a lot of people are just hearing about it now because of Golden Globes, maybe. Yeah, and because of award season buzz. Like I mean I would hope that it will, you know, garner some Oscar nominations and sort of get some attention in that way as well. But I feel like the movie does, like it's resonated with a group of people. And I'm, I'm amazed to see 
it's sort of slow and steady coming because we talked about on this list on this before right the default imdb voter is is a certain type of person it's you know a, a straight white male um average age of about like maybe 24 and those are the films that you see reflect on the list and those are what you see when the best picture nominees come in we've talked about yeah. how hacksaw ridge is the film with the highest hold of any of the best picture nominees last year like we talked about how moonlight came in for three hours and was gone yeah. get out came in for a week and was gone whereas la la land is still there for for example, that sort of stuff. But like, even if you look at this year's nominations, Ladybird uh, missed out on the list just about. Shape of Water missed out on the list just about. Uh, three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri got in, which is is largely like I mean, you can put Martin McDonough very much in the same context as Quentin Tarantino. So I think to see this come in at like 175 and it's holding at 175, which is impressive as well. Like, to see it build up that sort of gradual base of support and not to immediately plummet, not to come in particularly low and to, like, we're only a week into it, but it has fairly good hold. I think that's that's something impressive. I'm actually very glad to see that. Yeah. Um, I don't want to overstate the the the, the similarities between, between this and this, Moonlight, this and Moonlight. But, but to, to see kind of how quickly... Um, moonlight went out and how um how 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 this is staying um is uh, i suppose is interesting in 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 some ways i'm 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 not sure i'm not sure what that kind of proves or indicates i i i suppose it's 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 similar to the extent that i thought ebbing missouri um uh, sorry tree billboards and um Manchester by the Sea were kind of similar. I suppose. And and, and the three billboards is holding better as well. Yeah. I think it's also to do with the trajectory as well. Because Moonlight shot in off the back of, say, the Golden Globes. And it shot in a week before the Oscars, where it won Best Picture. So it sort of, like, rocketed in. Um, yeah. Like, it, it went from having been seen by 3,000 people to having been seen by 50,000 people in the space of a week. Whereas on the other hand, I've been watching Call Me By Your Name for the past three weeks and watching it gradually get to 18,000, 20,000, 22,000. Like I've seen it build up, like there was a very good chance watching that ticker move that it wouldn't actually get into the list until after it had left the Lighthouse Cinema and we wouldn't be having this conversation until March, you know? That's right. Um, Which was remarkable. So it was like, I think that it's grad, the way it sort of crept up has in some ways sort of helped it as opposed to like skyrocketing in. Well, that was my main fascination with this. Movie. I know. Um, the sheer, <laughs> the numbers and metrics and stuff. Movements. I was yeah. like, 24,000. It was like, like like Trump looking at the um, <laughs> <laughs> at the Dow Jones. Yeah. It's um, like the, the figures are huge. Um, yeah. uh, well, at least you didn't say it was like Trump watching the election results come in because that would have been a very different thing. Andrew wondering, damn it, now we have to do another episode. Um <laughs> No, we actually—I I quite enjoy doing these just as these this just in episodes because they give us a chance to talk about current movies and stuff. So before we segue neatly into the spore zone, Andrew, do you think it belongs on two fifty? Um, yes, yeah, and, and, and having having said that, I, I, I mean, I feel like based on the movies I saw last year and based on the movies I've seen so far this year, they were in the kind of Oscar conversation i think it was a stronger year last year i don't think this is as strong as some of the movies last year yeah. that came and went yeah I, I i would agree with that i would but, i mean i'm happy it's on the list i'm very happy i've seen it yeah. um and I'd, I'd 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 certainly encourage other people to go out and see it whether whether it deserves a um permanent a spot permanent spot per i'd say perhaps not but also 
it's it's good it's good to have a diverse list to have a gay love story I suppose if I were to choose I'd probably put Moonlight, Moonlight on yeah uh, but and and it, it sounds so kind of as actually, if you could like, have only one yeah and I I, 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 I kind of I, I, I kind of I kind of um, hate when 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 I talk like this because I sound sort of like I'm uh, deigning being, to put it uh, on almost, yeah so. or being like tokenistic or, or saying it, yeah. oh that um but yeah, no. They, 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 what, 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 what I mean is, it's, it's, it's good to have um, a bit of diversity on the list. Not, not for diversity's sake, but because the list tends to skew towards a certain um, point of view, yeah. and and there's there's good movies that aren't in, represented in yeah. that kind of uh, mainstream. Um, yeah, and area. I mean, this is this is a way, and, to and, do this, that as and well. this is one of them, that, and, and this is a way to bring it as well. I mean, like I would argue, one of the great things about cinema, is cinema is an empathy machine. Cinema is a window yeah. that gives you an opportunity to look oh, into absolutely. another person's life, and I feel like this does that. Now, you're right. I probably wouldn't, I wouldn't put this in, on my two fifty. I wouldn't expect this to be around permanently. Am I glad that it made the list? Yes. Am I am I glad that it made the list? You know, sort of this year of this year's crop of nominees. Yes, and I think it's it's a good sort of step in the right direction i think that i'd like to see more films like this to be honest and yeah. like i'm glad that i saw it i'm glad that i saw it again actually um and i'm, I'm quite happy with it being here now then i think it's worthy of discussion and i think that you should rush out and see it to be honest if you haven't already yeah so if uh, if you're watching this and you haven't seen it i think both of our recommendations is is uh, is to see it so uh pause the podcast uh, wait and three months. Wait three months, <laughs> and, 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 and then uh, yeah, join us on the other side of the spoiler zone. Spoiler zone, Andrew. That's an incredible beard you've grown over the past three months. Yeah, I know, right? All right. Well, I, I would normally jump in and ask what this movie's about for you, but we're going to pause that for oh, a yeah, second because yeah. you, you want to just the, get this the, out. The, yeah, you're um, so, calm. It's not that I didn't like this movie because I'm homophobic. It's I like because the way you need to classify I'm an anti-Semite. This. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, um, no. The, the, I, 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 I feel like there's a pr- pr- pretty obvious reason for, for, for having a problem with this movie. But then again, it's like it's a portrayal of something that happens, and uh, yeah. the, the, the question is kind of to what, uh, how, how does it treat that? Yeah. And to what ex- 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 extent does it romanticize it? And I feel like it really does. This is a very positive love story about what, what appears to be an adult and a minor. Yes. That with, with, 24 with, with, years old and 17 years old. Now, to be clear, this is a point that has been raised by James Woods, and we all wish to distance ourselves from James Wood in making this point. But well, I, do I think mean, it's... we shouldn't distance ourselves from just because he's James Wood and he's he's said other like conservative things that we okay. might disagree with. Okay, like but he, he 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 yeah. But but sorry, what what was the point that he made? The the I think he just sort of um, he sort of encapsulated in a sort of a homophobic argument against the film. Like I think he's made it clear that he's not a big fan of diversity for diversity's sake and stuff like that, and he sees this as perpetuating a sort of like a predatory, you know, the idea of gay men as predators, which is a an unfortunate stereotype that yeah, we saw, for I'm... example, in the Kevin Spacey situation, the Kevin Spacey yeah. uh, self-outing as well. Like there's a there's a horrible cultural stereotype of gay men, particularly older gay men, as predators who corrupt the youth, which is homophobic and rooted in the idea that you know we need to keep 
gay people away from children. It informs a lot of like the the crazy right wing stuff about like not having gay teachers or, or not having gay people adopt children. And it's yeah. a really unfortunate stereotype and it's really uncomfortable. And at watching this, I felt a little bit uncomfortable, which for all the love and joy that it has, it feels like it embraces an uncomfortable stereotype for me in that sense. Yeah, and and it it it's strange as well because it it is it is very much a kind of a a, a, I, a, 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 a I feel like I, I suppose should... a ro- romanticization of it in a way. You 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 speak. I think the the less I speak, probably the better. Well, no, I was just going to clarify. There are some things we should clarify first up front, which is this film is set in Italy in nineteen eighty three, which means that the age of consent is fourteen. Um, the parents of the male character are supportive and encouraging of the relationship. Um, so there is, like, this isn't a sense that it's it's an illegal act or it's glamorizing an illegal act. But I do think that there is something well, uncomfortable. Well, there's a cultural, I suppose, standard that, yeah. that, that we ha- have here. Yeah. Where, where, where... Let, let's be honest here. Like, so when we talked about Annie Hall... Right. We made a point about how movies that were set in the 70s, and we include, say, Annie Hall. We also include One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, where there's this creepy fetishization of young women by older men. So, for example, yeah. um, in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, the character is in, is a is basically a child rapist. He's in prison for statutory rape, and he gets transferred to a psychiatric institution. And the audience is meant to think that's not a big deal. In Annie Hall, there's this conversation about, like, what's better than one 16-year-old, two 16-year-olds? Um, um, which is, you know, also similarly sort of creepy in the way that it treats this sort of like older men coveting younger women. And I feel like there's something of that in this relationship here between Elio and Oliver. Yeah, but it it's also, I think, in some some of it is in the way that other kind of characters talk about. It. They they and I I sort of as somebody who was once like a a young teen in in love i kind of understand the words that are coming out of these characters mouths and the, and the, and the kind of truth behind them but they're very problematic there there's this whole kind of um discussion of i, I feel like i have it written down oh yeah they, they talk about kind of hearts and bodies how like as you grow older your your your, your heart gets worn your, out your heart gets worn out and nobody and- nobody wants your body anymore which is this kind of idea of like young 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 people being 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 like the, the, like and and at that age being so 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 beautiful and having such open hearts and but also being that, something to covet as well like particularly the, the emphasis on the body parts like the and yeah and army like, hammer is what 30 if not 35 i'm fairly sure i would covet his body oh yeah yeah the, 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 whatchamacallit aesthetic goals kind of coming out of this movie were were per, perhaps to have timothy chalamet's hair and army hammer's uh <laughs> physique. Ph- physique this is the these the curves the, that almost mo- dare you to desire yeah, them. Yeah, these these are the, the most gay straight men talking <laughs> yeah. about this movie. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just shows how comfortable we are. With our sexuality. Well, I mean, yeah, I do like that men's bodies is a recurring theme. Listening yeah, back any, to 250. Any, anytime I've dared talk about an attractive <laughs> woman, it's like... Geez, Andrew, that's really creepy, and I understand why that's the case. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's done for uh, for for comic value, I remember I, I I even said at one point I was like, I was talking about Thor Ragnarok, and uh, and and okay, and Blanchard. I said how Kate Blanchett was stunning in this movie, and straight away Darren was like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> 
her acting, <laughs> was her fantastic. craft, yeah, her technique. Yeah, um, it's like no, she just looked whereas, fantastic. Whereas on the other hand, Chris Hemsworth is built like a <laughs> like a log house. Yeah, um, look at those buns. Yeah, um, that's perfectly fine. That's yeah. No one's going to call us up on that. We're yeah. going to be celebrated. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it, sorry to to I, I don't know. Yeah, no. Well, I, you were I, talking though about like this idea of hearts being worn out, and and you know when you're thirty, nobody is going to want to look at you, let alone get close. Yeah. to Yeah, and like. like I, I, I was like it was it was it was probably probably true of me as a as an 18 year old and kind of long curly hair with with no kind of receding uh, I was I was I was a beautiful like young teen Andrew since we're objectifying male bodies <laughs> objectifying you're a beautiful yeah, you're a beautiful 30 year old man Andrew thank you very much um just in case you need to hear but that I, I, I was thinking yeah like back then like that I, I I was so kind of vulnerable as well like kind of like um, um, emotionally but but so kind of like open um yeah, to I'm- to kind of uh love and romance there were no kind of like walls up there there was something kind of like pure about that and uh, the, 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 it's it's something but it, but it, it's like it's it's a very strange thing for like I feel strange saying it for 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 for, for, for to come yeah. out of an older man's mouth to yeah. to 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 say th- this is this this is like yeah well that that's the thing is that like and this is one of the differences I haven't read the source material I've read about the the novel itself the novel is largely told from um Elio's uh, perspective yeah um and it, it's basically his pursuit of Oliver and you get sort of elements of that in the film where it's it's Oliver understands on some level that this is a transgression now. It's questionable how much of it he thinks is a transgression due to Elio's age versus how much he thinks is a transgression because he doesn't want to be out. But he still sees it as a transgression. But Elio basically wears him down. And you get that in the film where Elio is basically just yeah. like he grabs his crotch. He kisses him aggressively. He sends him love letters and all this sort of stuff. But like I think the issue with the the film is and I think to be fair, the novel also has a coda that the film consciously omits, where the novel is narrated from Elio's perspective as an older man, and you get a sense of how much his relationship with Oliver has like affected him and sort of changed him and coloured him in a way that you don't necessarily get with the film, because the film like ends with with Elio being a young man having like learned from heartbreak and being told, you know, to feel the pain and not to shut himself off from it, with the implication being that, you know, he will get over. It. So I think that there's an argument. I've read some arguments. It's difficult to convey to, that. To, well, no, I, I mean, it's 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 difficult to not become more guarded. Yeah. After having kind of uh, your heart broken. Yeah. Yeah, I know. There's and only I, so many times it can happen before, like <laughs> you are depleted. Your heart is worn out, so to speak. Yeah. But I, I think maybe that's an issue with translating the the story from the page to the screen. Is because of that you end up you you have to make Oliver a known quantity and you have to make him more sympathetic. You also don't have the benefit of hindsight for Elio. Like, you don't have the sort of... There was uh, a lot of voiceover um, that Luca wanted to include. In fact, he got the... Is it Surgeon Stevens who wrote some of the music for the so- for the soundtrack? He asked him not, to... Not Surgeon Stevens. Sufjan? So, Sufjan Stevens. Apologies. See, this is going Unless to... there's a, a weird owl <laughs> equivalent. Sufjan. Sufjan like Stevens. Like a surgeon. <laughs> like... like like a suction. Um, uh, yeah. 
But uh, Sufjan Stevens actually, um, he asked him to record some voiceover as an older um, Elio to help yeah. basically to create a sense of nostalgia and to create a sense the film was almost a remembrance of that first love. Right. But he cut it because he felt that it, it didn't work and it wouldn't land. Um, so I feel like there's an aspect of this is down to the fact that the film doesn't present this as a memory from Elio's perspective. It instead seems more objective. And so you have stuff like his parents being very encouraging of the 24-year-old grad student who is aggressively pursuing their 17-year-old son. Or not even aggressively pursuing, but is pursuing their their 17-year-old son and stuff. And I mean, like... Yeah, I, I mean, like, from, from my perspective, it seemed kind of strange. And, like, I, I, I can understand that these are the... Most cosmopolitan, um, uh, in liberal sort of liberal, yeah. um, educated, uh, sort of speak refined, like German, English, French, Italian, um, translate who, who ancient German else. texts as they're going. Like, I love the fact that Elio is like, it's not enough that Elio speaks French and Italian and English, he also is able to interpret classical music in yeah. the style of other classical composers to to to, to, to play uh, Bach in 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 in. In this style of list, yeah. or yeah, it's um, so it's a certain kind of a world where it mightn't be so surprising that the that um, they're open to this possibility. Yeah, and and I mean, like, look, I these are former hippies. Yeah, I I want to be clear about this, right? Because I actually I understand why that is, and I I like that. Like one of the things I quite like about your name is if you get past the age stuff and the age stuff is uncomfortable for me and just as it would be in, in, in a straight romance. And, and, and it, yeah. se- it seems it seems like we 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 wouldn't be so careful about calling it out probably if if, if it were a straight romance. Yeah. And I think that one of the reasons why I am so careful about calling it out is the fact that one of the things I really like about the film and one of the things I think the film does very well is I think it creates what people would disparagingly refer to as a safe space, but it creates a place and an environment where this love between these two people that would be socially unacceptable in almost any other circumstance at the same time, where it would be they couldn't be out in their home communities. Um, Oliver certainly couldn't be out in his home community, but he can go overseas, he can live with these people, and he can be who he really is and be comfortable with that and be accepted. Yeah. For that, like, there's a sense that the two of them live within a cocoon. I mean, even um, even Elio's girlfriend, yeah. like when she has her heart broken by him, when she discovers that he's gay, she and she totally understands, she doesn't hate him. She doesn't hate him. She loves him. She yeah. extends a hand out and says, "I love you," and like, let's be friends forever. Yeah, and for la vie. and like. I think there's something incredibly poignant and powerful, and like being frank, it is, it is. worthy in that. Like yeah, I think, it, and 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 it's it's as well. It's as well kind of straight. It, it it's it's a world in which the the um they've removed um a lot of the kind of predatory um kind of uh, nature of of the relationship. Yeah, where it's it's made something kind of pure and uh, sincere and like yeah it's very clear that like oliver is not the aggressor in this case in fact like when oliver he's trying to kind of um i mean he tries to distance himself okay no i i don't think it does make it okay but i think it it makes it understandable and i think that 
the other reasons that you would have for presenting in this life in some way have to be weighed against or mitigated you know yeah and there, there, there's parts in, in, in like towards the end of the movie he's saying oh I, I tried to give you hints that I liked you I, I, I was like a time when I was touching your, your back and you made me feel like I was molesting you and it's like well were you, were you not <laughs> um, a little bit <laughs> Um, I thought you were uh, like so. So you were you were what trying trying to make this try, trying to make the first move. Yeah, that, yeah. As opposed to like the earlier sort of vibe you have, which is like when when all when sorry Elio meets Oliver in town and he's like, I don't want you know I, I don't want this. Oliver's like, I don't want this to hurt you. And Elio's like, Oh, don't worry, we can be private. We can keep quiet. And and Oliver's like, No, that's not what I meant when I said I don't want this to hurt you. And you're like, there. there is an element that Oliver is trying to be, like, this is the most, this is probably the best version of this romance that it could be, if that makes sense. Yeah. And uh, he's, um, there's, um, there's a moment where they, where they, where they kind of kiss and then he, 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 he backs kind away. Of, uh, yeah. And he says, we haven't done anything wrong. We should like, kind to of be stop ashamed now of. to be yeah. ashamed of. And... Yeah, I mean, if it 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 feels like the, the they're not the the parents are aware of it, but they're they're not um, doing this in in the kind of full light of of day. Well, yeah. Oliver certainly isn't like because this is one of the interesting aspects of the film, which I don't think has been really sort of talked about and picked apart. Is that like the film? As much as it, it creates this wonderful place, and like one of the things I like about it is that through its connection to antiquity, it does this wonderful thing where it suggests that, like, it creates a context. Careful now, this this uh, uh, this is why David Norris didn't. Um, oh yeah, no. <laughs> rise to position of president. <laughs> president of Ireland, but it it does it creates this sort of context for, like. People who are for for being gay, like for being gay, being for being homosexual, being accepted sexual orientation. Like there's a wonderful theme that runs through the film and it's taken directly from um, what is it? Plato's uh, Symposium, um, where basically it's the whole the title, call me by your name and I'll call you by yours, which is where the two characters like refer to one another using their own names, where Elio calls Oliver Elio and Oliver calls Elio Oliver. Um that seems to allude to this idea of like there being of how man was formed in Greek myth, which was this idea that at one time human beings had four arms and four legs and two heads and we crossed Zeus and Zeus responded by tearing all of mankind in twain. So you ended up having just two arms and two legs and one head. And what you do is you spend the rest of your life trying to find the person who completes you trying to find like the one heart that bonds the two bodies and there's that sense that like once you do that you become like interchangeable but one of the interesting aspects of plato's symposium is that he argues that there are several types of love obviously there's there's the love between men and women and there's a love between men and men and he argues, and Plato argues, and it's it's a wonderful, sweet, like, moving sentiment that I think the film sort of gets at, which is this idea that somehow the love between two men is purer than the love between a man and a woman. And the reason that is, is because the love between a man and a woman is biologically determined by reproduction. Man, men and women fall in love in order to make children. For men who fall in love with other men... 
they devote themselves to a love without biological purpose, without reproduction, without, like, they don't come together because their hormones tell them to or because they're biologically designed to procreate. They come together out of some sort of spiritual harmony. And it's just, there's something very pure about that idea of love and that idea of, like, gay love almost being purer than, like, the love between a man and a woman, which I think that Call Me By Your Name gets. There's a a purety to the love in the film, if that makes sense. Does that make sense, or am I... I'm I yeah, reading no, too much I, into I, it. That, no, that that's that 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 makes perfect sense. The the the, the, the um it, it it's 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 a very interesting way to look at the movie. I think. Yeah, and I mean there there is there's this interesting, but there's also more to it because. Like, as much as this environment of Italy, where you have, and, and again, like, you have Elio's father, who literally dredges up the subconscious, who digs, like, at stuff that's buried beneath the surface. I wonder if this is going to be one of those podcasts where people say, oh, leave the serious stuff to... No, I, 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 I think this is really good. <laughs> the, 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 the thing I worry about is, 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 is when I'm brought into a serious conversation. Oh. It's kind of, what, what can I possibly offer? But... But no, there there is this element of like dredging beneath the surface and finding something that's that's hidden and buried beneath. But there's also a sense, and one of the things I like about the film is as much as it creates a sense that Italy is this place where you can dig below the surface, you can uncover this part of yeah. yourself that's been hidden, that the outside world still exists. And it still exists for Oliver more than it does for um, Elio. Because obviously you find out at the end that Oliver has a, now he says on again, off again girlfriend for the past two years. But you wonder if they were on while he was living the life in Italy. Probably and all were. Like- yeah. The, yeah, the, like the the it's very much told from from the point of view of Elio, and I think in Elio's mind, it's like there there there's a point where there's a conversation between him and the professor, his 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 father, and he's talking about how the two of them loved each other, and the two of them are are are, are both like uh, sweet and intelligent, beautiful people. Um, and, and he's and, better than I am. Yeah, he says uh, he was a, a better uh, than I am. It, it feels like in the portrayal, there's probably a certain amount of idealization, which you don't want to, like, I suppose it, it it's kind of nice in a way, because we're, we're used to these kind of um, love stories where at some point in, uh, as the story has been told, somebody... Um, does something uh, terrible and completely lets down the the, the other the, person. The other person. It's or like I mean, the, even in in gay love stories, like say Brokeback Mountain, where there's a societal pressure as well that tears them apart and stuff. Like I think there's something to be said for the way that Call Me by Your Name is earnest in its portrayal of love. Almost, you know, it, it doesn't it doesn't construct those obstacles in the context of its narrative. Like those obstacles exist outside it, and like as soon as Oliver goes back to the world, he's lost pretty much. Yeah, but like within the world of the film itself, there's no sense of why they can't be happy. Almost, which yeah. I, which is, but the, the 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 way the way that Elio talks uh, about Oliver, like his father says, oh, he, uh, um, he would say the same about you. But I, I've, 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 I feel like it, it, it probably hides some of the like, 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 like the thing about. Um, he was probably engaged um, while this whole thing was yeah. going on. Yeah, and 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 never mentioned her. Yeah, so I and 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 I mean not to judge somebody too much because like, 
when somebody is living a um, double life. Yeah, yeah. It, it, or in like, the closet. Yeah. You, it, like it, that's it's not it's not that it's their fault, but it, 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 what I'm saying is that there were there were there was there was probably an air of duplicity that they've kind of left out of the movie. Yeah. Well, I mean, you could argue that to Elio Oliver is the same as the statues are to his father. They embody like an ideal mm. that dares to be desired almost. It's like, and, and particularly when you look at, there are lots of shots of Army Hammer naked or, or semi-naked, which emphasize how much he looks like a Greek statue in some respects. Yeah. But there, there is that sense that maybe Oliver is an ideal to Elio as much as a real person. If that makes sense. Yeah. Well, it certainly comes across that way. Did uh, sorry, did, um, not to make a pun. Uh, the um, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> um, I, d- I don't know if we will. Really? Uh, semen. Lots of semen. Lots of semen. But we'll we'll talk. Um, but that, that is <laughs> because know, it's set I, in I, a port town. At, at, at what point do we talk about that? Do you want to talk about that now? Let's the, talk about the, that now. Two fifty after hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. There, um, I guess the the um, any any of your younger listeners will will. Will have grown to the age where they can see this movie, which is yes. uh, fifteen. Fifteen. So you're actually... you're you're now fifteen, and and, and <laughs> you, you can yeah. hear the discussion of basic bodily functions. Yeah, yeah. Um, but no, it... um, you've 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 had sex with a peach. Peach. It was a, it was a peach, right? Yeah. Yes. It felt like a peach. Um, did it feel like a peach, Andrew? <laughs> um, I bet it felt like, like something else too. Um, yeah, okay, well, for, let's talk about the peach a little bit, because the peach is the, the most headline-grabbing element of the film. Like, one of the things... Yeah, that... I'm sorry, I'm, 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 be, I'm, being, um, I'm being that guy. Yeah. No, 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 but, like, it's actually an interesting story to talk about, because, again, this, this was a, an item from the, original, um, sto- from the original story, from the book, right? Right. And when Luca and, and James Ivory, who... And actually, interestingly, the script is written by James Ivory, who wrote, like, Remains of the Day, and That's who wrote... That's what I was thinking. Yeah. I was wondering... Is, of Merchant is, is, Ivory. Is he a Merchant Ivory? Is he James is, Ivory? He is indeed. Wow. Yeah, I know. It's great. I would probably put, like, Remains of the Day and... I love Remains of the Day. And, yeah, Remains of the Day is the best Kaz- romance ever Kazuo made. Kazuo Ishiguro's book is fantastic. And I haven't I, read I, the book. I, 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 I perhaps prefer the book. Yeah. But, but the, the, the movie is fantastic. Cool. And there's also the, the other one with Anthony Hopkins. The other, what's the one I'm thinking of? Not Remains of the Day... Not Shadowlands. Oh, um, are you thinking of the the um, the fellow? He has a bookshop and he's um, in uh, yes. correspondence with um, no. Emma, Emma Thompson. That's another. That's Anthony another Hopkins, Ivory Emma, uh, Emma Thompson. and James Ivory uh, combination as well. Actually, uh, but no, we'll 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 come back to that one. But it's <laughs> we go into the fact machine. We go to the fact machine and get the other James Ivory movie, which Darren was just thinking about. Uh, but couldn't couldn't come up with the name of probably have to name the 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 uh, the bookshop Anthony one as well. One. I'm thinking of Howard's End, by the way, is the one I'm thinking okay. of, which is the one with Helena Bonham Carter. Um, the one I'm thinking, the one you're thinking of in terms of uh, Anthony Hopkins is. And we're back from the fact machine. It turns out Andrew was thinking of. I was thinking of eighty four Charing Cross Road, which is not a Merchant Ivory movie. Had that feel to it, and also directed by David Jones and written by Hugh Whitemore, based on a play by James Bruce Evans. Yeah, and, uh, and also, also Emma Thompson is not in this. She is Anne Bancroft. It turns out, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Did, 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 um, yes, I, I was way off. I'm really glad I called for the fact machine <laughs> on that case. one. I yeah. only got two flags in it. But one of the things that's that's interesting about the peach scene is that originally uh, the director wanted to cut it. 
um, because he thought that it was a bit much uh, in inverted commas. However, showing pure dedication to both his craft and his lead actor's craft, apparently both the director and Timothy Chalamet tried doing that scene themselves and determined that actually it was something that was feasible to do. And so they included it in the film. What are you saying? They, I'm saying they both screwed a peach. Not the same peach. They both made love to separate peaches. Yes. In order they, to determine the viability. Say, um, I, I've, uh, I have some feelings about this. So yeah, I feel like it could be... It's like, do, do, you want to leave it to ripen for a bit. <laughs> and it's like, should I be going for a white peach? No, 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 no. You, you want one of those kind of... Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, so they tried it, it worked, um, and then they basically decided they put it in the film. Interestingly enough, actually, and the book, I feel like this is something where we should go to Darren does some after-hour reading, like we did for uh, One Flew of the Cuckoo's Nest. The book is a lot more graphic in its depiction of said act, the point where afterwards Oliver doesn't just stick his finger into the peach and, and eat it. He actually eats the peach itself as he threatens to do in the film. Yeah, because there is a moment in it where you think he's going to eat the peach or maybe turn the peach upside down, <laughs> um, uh, but 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 doesn't. Because, and, and, because and, Elio and, starts crying, yes. Yeah, and, it, and, it, and it's a touching moment because it's 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 in, in, in a movie where there's so much kind of implicit um, acceptance. It's 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 a moment where there's a kind of a shame i suppose i felt that 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 elio's character feels they did and i suppose it's 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 around his his kind of burgeoning sexuality maybe in general yeah like the im 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 embarrassment because it's it's oliver who generally feels shamed particularly when he's out in public like it's oliver who says we haven't done anything to be ashamed of yeah. It's it's Oliver who has the really awkward conversation where he doesn't want to embarrass Elio, for example. It's Oliver who goes back into the world and completely forgets about it. It's it's like up until this point, it's generally Oliver who feels... And there's a sense that that's because Oliver comes from a world outside the one that Elio has been raised in. Like yeah. He talks about being the only Jew in New England almost or the in the New England town where he grew up. Yeah. There's a sense that he's wary of being ostracized as an outsider in a way that Elio isn't. Yeah. And one of the things that I find interesting about this film in particular is how, like, for all that it is a joyful celebration, for all that it embraces the opportunity that this location, this time provide for these characters to be together, you always get a sense that there's something lurking on the edge of the frame. There's something that it's not spoken and it's not an immediate threat, but it's there. So, for example, like, there's this recurring interest in some ways to do with, like, this contrast between how Elio and his family react to the romance as compared to, say, the staff. Like, there's a sense that, for example, the the woman who does the cooking, the, the maid, she feels more protective of Elio. She doesn't want him going out partying and stuff like that. And, like, Elio is concerned about her finding the T-shirt with his, you know, stain on it. He's not concerned, of, you know, his father knows and his mother knows, but he's concerned his, about the... His penis semen. His penis semen, yeah. Um, and, and for example, there's also the sense of, yeah, there's this sort of, there's lots of looks and there's talks about, like, among the staff about how these people Nobody carry on and penis stuff. Semen. No, I, I know. I said it like it, was a nor- like it was a normal thing and you went on with it. Yeah, well, 
Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> I didn't want to make you feel uncomfortable uh, with yourself. But th- but there is this sense that like there is there is there will be people who are less accepting, even though it's it's never explicitly brought up, but it seems to lurk there on the edge of the frame. Like there's a sense that like it's all right for these highly educated, like very liberal, like classics reading sort of like academics to be comfortable with this. But that maybe, for example, does the staff might not. There's a lot of like pregnant looks and a lot of meaningful glances and a lot of like a, a sense of, you know, awkwardness around it or unspokenness about yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there was always a, 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 there was often a thing in, in the in the kind of aristocracies of um, I suppose, uh, like, well Britain certainly, where, 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 where there was kind of I was going to say rife, but that sounds like the wrong word. Um, <laughs> where, where it was accepted, or yeah, uh, where there was a kind of a, an, understanding. And, yeah, and and where the the like like in the case of say like Roger Casement, he was only really exposed when it was time to discredit him. Yeah. Um, whereas, like, there would have been a a kind of a a knowledge um, of these things and a certain um, acceptance the other way, of a source yeah. Yeah. within within a certain class, I guess. Yeah. I think there's an element of that here as well. There's also, and this is interesting, this is one of the more interesting theories that I write. I can't take credit for it. I mean, it's been discussed in The Atlantic, uh, for example, and we'll include it in the show notes. But there's an argument made that the film exists on the very periphery of, say, the AIDS crisis. Like, there's a sense that the movie shifts its narrative focus from 1987 to 1983. The reason why Luca did that, he says, is because he wanted to position the film before the 80s as we came to accept it in terms of like you know sort of like this this conservatism creeping in so before you had well reagan had been in office for two or three years at that point but before reaganism like truly became an accepted thing before thatcher came to power um in in the uk before berlusconi ascended to power within italy itself um also he wanted to explore it as an extension of the end of the sexual freedom of the 60s, which gave way to like the, the libertarianism of the 70s. And before that kind of gave way to the conservatism and like the abstinence and safe sex movement of the uh, of the of the 80s. Because one of the interesting things about uh, Call Me By Your Name is that there's no condoms. There are absolutely no condoms in it. There's a lot of emphasis on juices and fluids. Like, and not even just the, the fluids that people excrete. When he eats the peach, when he tears into the peach, you get lots of lingering shots of the fluid dripping over his body, for example. Flower. You get, yeah, soothe it down. You get, for example, like the scenes of um, Oliver, like cracking eggs and it basically popping and you have this sort of like oh i couldn't have just one because i couldn't There's have a, a special second playlist on soundcloud where it's just <laughs> darren getting <laughs> discussing so dirty uh discussing hedonism and stuff but there is this kind of almost hedonistic quality to it like uh, talk, call me by your talk name about when he pukes call, well okay just we're gonna anyone who's into that we're gonna we're gonna get to that in a second andrew i'm building to this but there's a sense of like almost hedonism and freedom in the way that like call me by your name embraces bodily function like there's people who, there's eating there's drinking there's yeah we're going to talk about that in a moment there's um popping of eggs there's a there's a sense that like oliver can't just have two eggs because if he had two eggs he'd have three eggs oliver can't just be a little bit tempted by elio because all of a sudden they'll be running away and having sort of like weekends full of like adventurous sort of romantic excursions there's no sense of holding back in this there's no sense of restraint or fear like there's no sense of nobody wears a condom like there's 
you don't get to see much of the sexual act itself, but you get to see, like, for example, Oliver wiping um, himself clean after intercourse with Elio. Like very clean. <laughs> <laughs> but there is a sense of, like, fluids Have flow... A shower. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> but fluids flow uh, very, very clearly. Like, they, they pee... By the, by the way, food waste in this movie. Oh, yeah, well, food... food yeah, food waste is very much part <laughs> of that, I think. Yeah. There's lots of eggs there's, broken, there's, and there's lots of peaches. Yeah, um, yeah. Never gets eaten. That peach isn't it's even like, eaten. If you're going to... If you're going to do that with a if peach. If you're going to treat your peach like that, you better eat it afterwards. Um, yeah, but there's there's a lot of that, right? But Respect on, your peach. So there's a sense of Don't like... just use it. There's a sense of like physical liberation and indulgence and sensuousness, which I think ties over into, say, the use of the soundtrack and stuff like that. Yeah. But there's also, at the very edge of the frame, there's this lurking specter of decay and entropy and death. So, for example... There's a lot of flies in the movie. It's been noted, like a lot of people have noticed watching it, that a lot of the framing makes a point to include flies. When you're filming in tropical environments, you want to make sure that you can film without flies nearby. So you put a propellant and stuff like that. But the film luxuriates in shots of like flies swarming around. So for example, after Oliver leaves Elio to get on Mm. the train, you can see the flies sort of popping up and down. You can hear them buzzing at the start as Oliver is sort of considering breakfast at the very end, which is why, by the way, when I was watching which is end. strange because it's it's, it's winter. It's winter. Yeah. Um, and and it, I was wondering, kind of, is that digital snow? And then when I see the flies, I realize it is digital snow. But while they had that digital guy there, <laughs> they had also like digitally removed those flies. And um, I think that was a conscious choice because I don't think there's anything like that that happens by accident. And that's why I sort of chuck like. I know I felt it's the ending of the film is really heartbreaking where Elio's had this conversation with Oliver and he's discovered that his first love isn't going to be his only love and all this sort of stuff. And he goes to the fire and he weren't those flies. And he's completely true me. And he stares into the fire and he sort of gazes and he cries as the credits roll. And there was this moment where like when Darren watched your name and the two characters are separated forever, Darren chuckled. And when he was watching call me by your name and the two characters are separated forever and Darren chuckled. The reason that Darren chuckled was because he saw the fly roaming around. He's like, yeah, this is the point where you make the thematic point. This is where you hammer home the fly imagery. Right there, right now. Because the fly the fly is the star of that closing shot. It's very hard for me to focus on like the single tear running down like Timothy Chalamet's face. Yeah. When you've got the fly wandering across the white shirt with the faces where it's very clear. And, and this is the point from The Atlantic. Yeah, the point from the Atlantic is that the flies perhaps represent like decay and death that exist on the edge of paradise. You know, uh, A in Arcadia Ego, if we're going to get all classical. The idea that like the film exists uh, in 1983, which would have been several years before the AIDS scare hit Italy. It would have been about a year before the AIDS scare came to be, AIDS itself came to be like properly diagnosed and recognized in the United States. Uh, Yeah, no, no. But before... So before you had this sort of clamping down on sexuality that happened after AIDS, like, became something that people were aware of and cognizant of. And you see a lot of it um, in the film itself. Like, at several points in the film, characters become sick. In particular, um, Elio becomes sick. Yeah. And he becomes sick 
after he indulges his senses. So, for example, he literally has a spoonful of, like, that delicious ice cream and his nose starts gushing blood. He's out drinking with Oliver and all of a sudden... He, now, I know that's admittedly, like, a simple cause and effect. Like, you go out and you get drunk and you vomit. But there's a similar sort of cause and effect between him and Oliver, like, dancing in the streets together and him throwing up randomly. Like, yeah, and it seems the egg yolk that he's mostly <laughs> that he's vomiting up as, up as well. But there, there is an element of that to the film as well. egg yolk that is, like, pouring out of the top of that... Um... Uh, the one that uh, that Oliver burst, the egg that Oliver burst. Yeah, it? yeah. He like if you're gonna do that, do that straight away. <laughs> yeah. Don't wait a few days and then eat the little dried bits of egg yolk because you're remains. gonna get sick later yeah. on. Yeah, but I I do feel like I wonder if that's a conscious choice in the part of the film that it's all lurking there. There's even the um, Oliver's bruise um, yeah. early in the film where he says that like. He, first of all, it bruises and it stays, and it looks like a regular bruise, right? Well, it's not but, a bruise. He uh, he skinned it. He skinned it, yeah. yeah. But it's after he starts making out with Elio on the edge of Elio's private little waterhole, he stands up and goes, I think this is getting infected. Hmm. Like, there's a repeating and recurring link throughout Call Me By Your Name between indulging, like, your your hedonistic urges and indulging, like, your your sort of your sexuality and your appetites... And then your body almost rejecting them in a way. Like in a way that I think, and the Atlantic argues that this sort of prefigures AIDS. It sort of brings up and evokes the specter of like HIV and AIDS as it would affect the gay community. And I wonder if that is intentional or conscious. Like if there is this sense of like, you have this space where the two of them can be together and the two of them can be happy. And the two of them basically get to go to, it's paradise, for a couple of weeks where yeah. they spend together, where they're both happy and loved and accepted. But at the edge of that, you have like the real world intruding. The audience understands that like 1983 in a couple of years, like the AIDS scare is going to affect them. They know that like as much as they're accepted here, there will still be like whispers and gossips and glances, like the kind that you see among the house staff or you sort of, you see implied among the house staff. Like you, you get a sense that as protected as Elio is in this context, and as protected as Oliver is in this context, the real world is still out there. And somehow that makes this, while it makes it more special and it makes it happier and it makes it sort of gladder, you know, it's better to embrace. Mm. It's more exciting to embrace this and it's more hopeful and it means more because of that threat looming outside. It still means that there is something there is something coming. And I mean, you see that at the end with winter where like all the stuff that was so beautiful and alive, like in the summer that they spent together in the winter, it's just covered with frost. There's a small little house and everybody, everything's obviously literally colder and sort of closed off. And, you know, they're talking about like replacing Oliver with a woman. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I wonder like, am I reading too much into it or is the Atlantic uh, reading too much into it? Uh, in this no, sense, I, 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 there, there's enough examples there where it feels like a a choice, and you would imagine that it's that that there's some that there's some kind of a thematic reason for that. So yeah, no, and and um, it does um, it does make sense, and it, I think it does it in a kind of an un, un, unobtrusive way, where you can get away with watching the movie and not seeing. That, that and and um, 
and and where you, where you can you can I suppose. And I think like there is value in having a gay Sorry, romance. Trailed off. Yeah. No, no, but I think there is value in having a gay romance where you don't have like the tropes of. I'm just going to say is value in having a gay romance. No, but where you don't have like the angst that you expect of sort of heavier stuff, like say you know even Moonlight second act where like we record you know, this podcast on. <laughs> In in yeah, sorry, never mind. <laughs> but like even say for example like Brokeback Mountain where you have like you know Jack Twist gets brutally beaten in a hate crime that sort of stuff like I like that there like I think there's value in having Call Me by Your Name like just reject that and tell a simple like adoring love story about two people who are happy together but I do think that the darkness I, yeah, does there lurk was, in there. there. There was a certain part of the movie where like I'd heard nothing about this movie prior to watching it. There was a certain part of this movie where I thought. They're going to get murdered now. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. And like, I feel like I've seen kind of enough of it. And everything's just been so kind Happy of... Happy to this yeah, point. Yeah, and, and they're, they're, they're in this kind of like town and like um, they're w- like wandering around and like holding hands and kissing. And there's a moment where they go up to like a Two group strangers, of uh, yeah. strangers. Yeah. And I'm thinking, oh, no. Oh, the, the, this Late is gonna, at night, midnight. Yeah, this is going to take a turn, and the, the, there's going to be like assaulted or killed, and it and doesn't it happen, which is which is refreshing. And I mean, and like we want to talk about, we talked about how wonderfully directed this is. Like one of the best sequences in the film sort of captures this mood very well, which is the bit where they go to the town square, and there's the memorial to the First World War, and the yeah. two of them sort of circle it and they dance around each other, which is a nice expression of like how the two of them are, you know, sort of getting a sense of one another but you also get like and it's a wonderful it's a one take sequence which is particularly impressive so you get a pan across with them but like in the middle of their conversation you get a pan up to look at the flag um and the war hero you know sort of on the monument and then you get later on the scene a pan up to the top of the church and across as if to suggest like the film doesn't need to articulate the barriers that exist for these characters outside the context of the story. It just needs it just needs to nod towards them and you will understand that like there's so much against them out there in the world that it's like good for them to have this space where they can be almost. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I, 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 I haven't even really kind of seen that. No, that, that's um, that's an interesting point, actually. Um, is it worth sort of mentioning one of the interesting arguments that I've heard about the film, and I'm not sure I entirely agree about it, is that the film is a very chaste romance in some respects, um, in that, and this is an argument that sort of comes up from certain members of the LGBT community, so I'm not sure about the two of us as straight guys talking about it, uh, but we're going to do it anyway. But it's the argument that um, some of the, the gay films that have broken out, so for example, Moonlight and This, have in some respects been relatively chaste in their portrayal of sex. So for example, yeah. the first scene with Elio and Oliver pans out gracefully to a window, for example. Um, and like even in Moonlight, the, the most erotic scene is is a hand job in the sand where everything is tastefully concealed. We no. talked about how a hand job is a terrible It is a terrible word. word. Yeah. It, Did we come it, up it, with a more romantic equivalent? No, I'd, 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 we'd, we'd have to go back and listen to it. But Digital yeah, dexterity. The, the, any marketing people out there... In the, in who the, who's the, want a brand. To re, 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 because a they're not... Handelatio? Does yeah, Handelatio work? Per, 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 um, perhaps. I mean, it's really not as bad as it sounds. No, um, but there is this sort of... Um, but there is this, this sense that in order for mainstream audiences to embrace... 
um, gay stories that this, maybe yeah, they need this, to be. This takes it up a little bit from Moonlight. Oh, it does. Well, there's some, a like, peach. Fellatio and there's a peach. And, and there, there is a bit yeah. where, where um, Oliver sort of wipes himself clean afterwards as well. Yeah, yeah, which you don't normally see. I mean, um, Oliver, um, sorry, not, not Oliver, sorry. Um, James. Not wipe it in the sand. Yeah. James Ivory has, has actually talked about um, how the original script had much more nudity in it. Um, and 50% more semen? Um, he didn't quantify it in those terms, but he may have aimed in that way. But Luca basically said that in order to get the film made, he had to cut that. He had to cut those bits out, and he wasn't too sad to lose them because he thought that like it was more important to emphasize love than the visual than the physical act of sex. But his argument was that, for example, you would never have gotten Army Hammer and Timothy Chalet to do the movie if you didn't write out full frontal nudity. Interestingly enough, they had to digitally remove Army Hammer's testicles, not in real life. Uh, and permanently, but just in several scenes in the movie. Lasers. Yeah, with lasers. But there are there are apparently several scenes in the movie where Oliver is wearing shorts, and it became very clear in post-production that uh, certain parts of Army Hammer's anatomy were drawing the audience's attention. So they had to digitally erase them and smooth them over. Um, and Army Hammer was okay with that? Did, um, <laughs> women, women, women love a, <laughs> like a Ken doll, great, great yeah. pair of um, uh, swinging testicles. Um, it is interesting. Though. Like, I mean, Army Hammer has really done a. Presumably, he's already happily married, and he no longer needs to win a mate by <laughs> by dis- displaying his testes. Because um, that is how you win a mate, Andrew. Absolutely, um, yeah. But uh, what you know that this was this was hasn't the- worked for me. <laughs> Maybe if you digitally remove them, it would work fine. You know that when they did Superman Returns... Oh, my fingers. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Andrew. You know when they did Superman Returns, they had to actually digitally reduce um, Brandon Routh's area uh, because it was it was quite distracting during test screenings, apparently. Really? Yeah. So there's a fun fact. If you, uh, if you like Brandon Routh, you'll be pleased to hear that. Don't know who Brandon Routh is. Oh, but... he was Superman in Superman Returns. Okay. Um, they found that, yeah, the skin-tight leotard had to be reduced as well. See, this is what I talk about when we talk about objectifying male bodies on this yeah. podcast. How much time do you spend, like, <laughs> on, the, on the internet, like... Finding out whose package has been digitally removed or smoothed yeah, over. Yeah. Um, interestingly enough, there was a bit of discussion about Army Hammer. Army Hammer is great in this, to be clear. I think Timothy Chalet is great in this, and Michael Stuhlbarg is great in this. Michael Stuhlbarg may actually, yes. may actually be only the third or fourth actor to star in three Best Picture nominees in the same year. Ooh, you, re- you reckon... The, the, um, so, yeah, I, I think I alluded earlier on, I don't think the field is as strong this year. Yeah. Um, so this may be the... Um, <laughs> that's really going to anger people. <laughs> certain people when... If, <laughs> If 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 Moonlight wins in twenty seventeen, <laughs> followed by Call Me by Your Name, it's like oh fine, every movie now, okay. Um, yeah, two movies in the space of two <laughs> years. But uh, apparently, yeah, Stuhlbarg starred in this. He starred in the Post. And James Woods will have something to, to say, say about, about that. that. He starred in this. He starred in the Post, and he starred in The Shape of Water. So he may appear in three. There's also the possibility of another oh, actor. Really? Yeah, there's another actor who may get three this year as well, actually. And I'm curious to see if you can guess oh, who sorry, it is. I thought you were going to... I, 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 uh, sorry, I thought you were uh, yeah, referring to somebody else. No, I beg your pardon. No, so so Stuhlbarg may. Yeah, yeah. But there's somebody else who will as well this year. There's a chance somebody else has a good shot of making this three 
three, which would be great to have two actors who starred in three of the Best Picture nominees this year. Okay. So do you want to do you want to hazard a guess as to who it might be? Well, I can't think of anyone from Dunkirk. Nope, you're right. Yeah, it's uh, not Dunkirk. Um, and from so I've seen very few of them. Okay. Uh, so the one so... we saw last week, right? There's he's in he's in that. So Woody Harrelson or Sam nope. Rockwell? Nope. Who else in um, Three Billboards have you seen in another movie that is getting Oscar nomination talk? I'll give you a hint. We didn't talk about it together on the show. Oh, somebody from from Get Out? Yep, Caleb Landry-Jones. The oh. red red from um, Three Billboards, and he also then appears in The Florida Project as Willem Dafoe's son. Oh, wow. So there's a chance that... And this is interesting because... Well, it's interesting in inverted commas because Darren likes it's statistics. It's interesting as... Like, Caleb Landry-Jones has never been so interesting. <laughs> as he is right now. Hey. Currently, yeah. But... Um, Despite the fact that this will be the first year where you have two actors who played major roles in three of the Best Picture nominees, last time that it happened was with John C. Riley in 2002 with Chicago, The Hours, and Gangs of New York. Yeah, the, it, it, I, I knew who who um, John C. Riley was before Really? That. Before that? Because that was no, when the, he broke out for me. Yeah, I suppose, I suppose the, the things that he, he was in before that were, 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 were maybe not so... Um, well known. There, there was a, there was a very good movie that he was in. Oh, I'm struggling to think of it. I think it's is a it perfect date. It's called. Okay, what was it about? It's uh, about a compulsive gambler. Okay. In um, Las Vegas. Oh, he wasn't in the cooler, no. To the fact machine. Thank you, Andrew. Hard days. Very good. Hard days, not perfect date. Hard days, but but close enough. Yeah, no, quite 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 a good movie with uh, John C. Riley and a kind of an early John C. Riley movie as well, and a dramatic movie. Yeah, from... and Philip Seymour Hoffman and Philip Baker Hall, whom I always get confused with one another, despite the fact that they look <laughs> and sound nothing alike. They're well, both Phillips with three names and a H surname. Well, uh, yeah, you 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 won't confuse them because um, Philip Seymour Hoffman is is the PS Hoffman or the, the PlayStation <laughs> Hoffman, uh, whereas uh, Philip Baker Hall is the PB, the peanut butter, yeah, the peanut butter, uh, peanut ha- butter Hall. But um, yeah, so basically, sorry, back to talking about um, the yeah. So that- so I I've I've never known who Caleb Landry Jones is until really like. Almost uh, like this very moment, but I believe he was also mentioned (laughs) in exciting um, kind of tones uh, during last weekend's recording. Okay, no, he wasn't mentioned in exciting tones in last week's recording, he was just there. I believe at some point you said, Caleb Landry Jones, and I was like... Who the hell is that? Yeah, stop okay. talking, Darren. Um, but there is... Okay, Caleb Landry Jones is great. He's so hot right now. He is so hot right now. Um, I remember him from when he was doing terrible horror movies, like what was it, The Last Exorcism or something like that. Um, that was when I first remember Caleb Landry Jones. But anyway, but talking about calling by your name, Army Hammer is great in this. Army Hammer is really good in this. Yes, there were there were moments where where he he, he just seemed kind of almost like too kind of like once their love was no longer a secret there there was there, there was something almost too kind of like lovely and wide-eyed about him <laughs> in certain scenes and like his his the, the, the kind of um like the, his smile was 
too endearing. <laughs> the uncanny kind of, valley yeah, sort of approach. Yeah, where it's just kind of like, uh, yeah, there, 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 there it was too much. <laughs> it was like a confi- yeah. They didn't just digitally erase his package. They like digitally enhanced his smile. We're talking about his balls. <laughs> we, you know? we really are. His, his, <laughs> <laughs> but um well interestingly enough did you follow the the sort of coverage of this because there was a lot of well first of all there was a minor controversy in the fact that the two gay characters at the center of the film were played by straight actors chalamet and um and obviously hammer but the film was the source of a bit of contention in that hammer was subjected to an infamous buzzfeed article around the time the film came out in which it basically used him as a target for, you know, straight, male, moderately talented actors who've been given God knows how many tries by Hollywood, uh, which basically led him to quit Twitter um, over it, uh, describing it as bitter as, um, and then sort of quitting that as well. Yeah, there's there's, there's a lot of... um... Well, I suppose, like, uh, I'm maybe an example of it, of, like, a, a voice on the internet where there's no <laughs> kind of reason why I should have this platform. <laughs> but there we go. It's like Army Hammer. This is the world you live in. Yeah. Now. <laughs> you need to get used to this. Because yeah. it is, because, I mean, like, Hammer's career trajectory is interesting because he, he started out, like, he was going he should to... never have been on Twitter. <laughs> in the first place. <laughs> yeah. But it's really great because, like, Hammer... Hammer is like a star. You know, the internet sort of fix. The internet has boyfriends, is how they're yeah. described. And these sort of people become like obsessions. So there was a while where Army Hammer liked a couple of like bondage tweets. And he, all of a sudden, the internet was like, oh my God, he's so kinky right now. For example, there was the bit where he stood up to James Woods, pointing out that like James Woods' critique of like, you know, this movie being about a 24 year old hooking up with a 17 year old. And Army Hammer's response was, weren't you dating a 16 year old for a while? And he sort of became the internet's hero off the back of that. But there's even like stories when you read with inter- interviews. I don't with- know how 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 much of an argument that is. Uh, <laughs> not to defend James Woods too much, but it, it it seems kind of like to to engage with the hypocrisy or the kind of uh, maybe like slightly ad hominem, but yeah. not to engage with the point specifically yeah. as, as stated. Just but, sort of skirt around Yeah, it. no, I can see why people enjoyed that. Yeah, and I mean, even stuff like when you read interviews with him, he seems to have figured out how to make himself the internet's boyfriend. There's a really great uh, quote, for example, when he's talking on the phone. By the way, I didn't know that the internet's boyfriend was a thing. This, this, <laughs> this is, is the first time that you've... Uh, yeah, this... Uh, Darren has read up about um, not Raul Julia's package. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Army Hammers. Thank Army you. Hammers. Army uh, Hammers is a great name, by the way. I yeah. Feel like, oh, yeah. Um, everybody in this movie has a great name. Is it Everyone... his actual name? Yes. Okay. His um, It's Armand Hammer. Okay. I'm um, just so we're clear on this. Um, I think this was foreshadowed. Like the the film's most iconic dance sequence was foreshadowed yeah. by the super furry animals he's a huge warning us. Big galoot, isn't he? Yeah, he's six foot. Um, he's yeah. like, like when he's introduced in the movie, he's this boorish, huge American. <laughs> it helps that you put him next to Michael Stuhlbarg, who I love, but is never going to be like a sort of a ripping physical specimen by any measure. Yeah. 
You're very tall, aren't you? You're taller than you look in your picture. It's like, yes, I couldn't fit all of me in there. Um, but yeah, he, he's got this sort of quality to him. He comes along and like finishes all of the juice and eats the egg like a bear. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's still growing. He needs to yeah. replace 70% of his own body mass every day. Yeah. Um, but there is this sort of... Turns over a honeypot. Gets stuck in it. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the thing about Hammer is that there was a while when he was trying to be a conventional leading man because he's there's an argument that our current generation of like really ridiculous breaks the pot open with his balls. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> go, go ahead. There's an argument that the current generation of leading men in Hollywood arrive too late because we no longer have like stars in the same way we did in even the 90s. Right. Like Will Smith can't open a movie in the same way. Tom Cruise has difficulty opening movies that aren't <laughs> Mission Impossible. Yeah. <laughs> Other Scientologists are an impressed minority in this modern day and age. Okay. Okay, Tom Hanks. Weird kind of focus students. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <thank> <laughs> yeah. Who can run. We're very obsessed about things. And, yes. Yeah. Okay, fine. Tom Hanks can't open a movie in the same way he used to, for example example but i feel like so Tom hanks is everyone he is he really is yeah no there's a big difference between hanks and cruz and smith yeah. but i think that like there's an argument that an entire generation of actor came of age including army hammer like so you'd include that say john ham or james oh, franco but by the way army hammer had serious john ham voice in this movie didn't he did he yeah okay like, what is a john ham voice is it an american accent no, there, there when you're surrounded by very people. kind of like mellifluous about it, yeah. Really? Okay. Is that the right words? <laughs> Did I nailed that. I think you did. I'll, I'll yeah. Say. Good. 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 Okay. Yeah. But no. There, 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 I may need another adjective though. Like when when when, when um there, there's no other uh, way to describe it. Anyone who's seen the show Mad Men will know, like at the end of each episode, where um. <laughs> Well, perhaps not at the end of each episode, but certainly certain episodes where where he's he's pitching the ad. I feel like every episode of Mad Men ended, ended with, with John Hamm talking through a pitch and it being, "Wow, this is uh, this is the central amazing. thesis of the but episode." It, him, him 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 going through like the 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 Polaroid, yes, uh, sorry, the carousel, the carousel from the Kodak. most iconic yeah, from the yeah. first season. Yeah, where there, there's there, there's there's there, there there's something very kind of like special about about his voice and the army hammer's voice in this really reminded me of that he had that very um john ham is the only <laughs> way i i i, uh, I can describe it because i'm bad at talking but uh, for some reason i have a podcast um, um with, with, <laughs> i i, I co-have a podcast but um what i was gonna say was that like there's an argument that a, the modern generation of actors like say john ham and army hammer and even James Franco like arrived a little bit too late where we don't really have stars in the same way we used to so yeah. like you watched Army Hammer try and make himself a conventional leading man with films like for example The Man from Uncle or right. The Lone Ranger and Henry those Henry Cavill in the same sort of yeah I would argue Henry Cavill is Henry Cavill is in some ways like Tom he has like a Tom Cruise if you stripped out the charisma that Tom Cruise has. No, it, 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 it feels like Henry Cavill is born in the in the wrong kind of era, era as well. Yeah, right. Like, like these are the kind of Rock Hudson. Yeah, well, I mean, the, imagine having Rock Hudson play a gay <laughs> character. 
how crazy would that be? Yeah, or um, like Robert Mitchum. Yeah, but I feel like you could have, yeah, like these would be great leading men in the 60s. You could imagine like Hitchcock hanging a suit on one of them and calling it a day. It's like we've got a movie now. Yeah. That sort of thing. Whereas that doesn't really happen. Like Cary Grant. Or, yeah. yeah, it doesn't really happen in the same way anymore. So you have like Hammer's path to stardom is interesting because he basically broke into indie filmmaking. So he did like, what was it, Birth of a Nation uh, with Nat Parker, which obviously went horribly, horribly wrong for reasons that had nothing to do with uh, Hammer himself. But like this, this movie in many respects seems. By the way, I've no, I, I've heard Birth of a Nation reference so many times. I've, I've, like, I, I think of myself as a curious person, <laughs> but I've never <laughs> once. Healthy urge like, to inquire. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd rather just probably like when it comes to movies, the less I know, the better. I'd rather just but, kind of like if it's on, it's like oh, I've heard of that, and stick it on. Yeah, or or like today when we went to the cinema, <laughs> yeah, when I no you idea. completely forgot what we were going Karen to see. Told me, and then the name came up on the screen. I was like, oh, you see, yeah, I would have figured it out. I would have got there in the end. Yeah. Um, but there is this sort of like quality where Army Hammer is sort of like reinvented himself as an indie darling almost mm. and it's kind of interesting that apparently um was it the next the next thing that he's doing is he's performing on stage in a play titled straight white guys um yeah. as if to comment upon the fact that he is a straight white guy whose biggest claim to fame is playing like a, a lead in a gay love story at this point yeah which is interesting he's 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 those um, Winklevoss twins. He, he is as well, yeah. What do you call them? Yeah, <laughs> Winklevi, if you will. Um, yeah, the guys from, obviously, The Social Network, in which he was... Yeah. He was cast. I love... There's a really great quote from one of the reviews, and I'll put the review in the show notes, which is, like, Army Hammer's presence in The Social Network is so effective that no matter what he does, he conveys a sense of who the Winklevoss twins are on a fundamental level. When he rows a boat, the film seems to say, this is how an asshole rows a boat. When he bites <laughs> into a burger, the film seems to say... This is how an asshole bites into a burger. Um, and he is, he's phenomenal in the in the twin roles, as it were. Um, but I, I like that he's sort of, he's come out of his shell and he's sort of like, he's doing these smaller sort of indie quirky films in a way. Yeah. And like I... Um, for, for that role, Zeus actually ripped two of Army Hammer's <laughs> arms and legs and one of his heads off and created another one. Yeah. yeah. And the other one was John Hamm, apparently, we discovered on this podcast. Um, but yeah. Uh, and Chalamet is, is very good as well. Chalamet may also be an actor appearing in two of the Best Picture nominees. He has a small role, a small supporting role in Lady Bird as well. Okay. Um, and he's interesting because he's an actor who sort of came up gradually as well. He was probably made a lot of, made an impression as... Uh, is he over 17, by the way? Yes, yes he is. How does he have a child's body? <laughs> I mean, that was the thing that made me think, like, maybe this kid is 18 or 19, but I don't think he is. Like, no, he I believe he's... with his parents and and he, he has, like, a, a, a child's body. He was born in 1995, which makes him, like, 20, 22 years old. Jeez. Yeah, I know. Does that, does that make you feel old? Yeah. Uh, but he would have shot to prominence, for example, uh, Interstellar. He played the young Casey Affleck in Interstellar um, in terms of like being around a while and sort of earning his reputation. But yeah, he's had a very good year this year between this uh, and Lady Birds. He's also in Hostiles as well, the Western starring Christian oh, okay. Bale, uh, which is out as well. So I mean, he's, it's okay. It's perfectly serviceable. Yeah. Is, uh, it, is it as good as say like 310 to Yuma? No. 
310 to Yuma is much better. 310 to Yuma is much better. Yeah. It's not as good as the best revisionist Western. As in so the, the recent The recent one, yeah. It, it's yeah. not as good as, say, The Hateful Eight. It's not as good as, say, Bone Tomahawk. But it's perfectly serviceable. It's more like, say, The Homesman with uh, Tommy Lee Jones. Right. Um, or is it Seraphin Falls with Pierce Brosnan, which is also quite good. Or Slow West with Michael Fassbender, while we're on the subjects of Western starring Irish actors. Slow West is great. I really like Slow West. Uh, but yeah, so so Chalamet is, is also... Chalamet is very, very good here as well. And he plays... Like, I think the extent of the film works is because Chalamet plays that sense of desire. That sense of, like, unrelenting and uncompromising desire as well as he does. Like, you get a sense of... Yeah. I think we've all been... Yeah, the, yeah the, I think what he, what he played quite well is that when you're sort of in infatuated with somebody from afar you feel like a weirdo and your 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 like expression on 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 your face for 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 everyone to see at certain moments like when when um i was going to say army um (laughs) oliver when oliver um is 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 uh, dancing and then um kissing kiara yeah. Um, at the at 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 the disco, there 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 there's a sense in 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 which you can you can kind of see it see it on his face almost. Yeah. Or or in other certain parts of the movie. Yeah, where where. Well, there's even the bit where he's sort of homophobic uh, towards the couple that he refers to as Sonny and Cher, and there's a sense that he's almost projecting in some way his own insecurities on them. Yeah. I do like that his father's like, um, do you call them that because they're gay or because they're ridiculous? And that was just a great line. Um, yeah. But there, there is a sense of that. And I mean, I think there's a part of every 17-year-old or most 17-year-olds will recognize that like sheer unrelenting desire and this sort of like hormonal stuff. I don't think I don't think a lot of us have had sex with a peach, but I feel like a lot of us have understand the strength of that pull, you know, the sort of the strength of that obsession that you feel when you're younger and you're infatuated. And the sense of the entire world sort of hinges on that. Yeah. I think the film captures that quite well. I mean, I, I feel like that leads to a lot of the problems that we talked about with regards to the age difference, is the way that it embraces that almost uncritically. But I think that it does capture that sense very, very well. Yeah, and uh, honestly, like, growing up, it is something It is something that happens. It seems to happen a lot. I, and I know growing up as a teenager, a lot of my peers were kind of seeing people or in relationships with people who are who are in their kind of mid to late 20s or yeah and so 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 and 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 this is this is a love story about one of those kind of relationships and 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 i'm talking about like with uh knowing like um uh straight and gay people at that age um um but yeah, it, it's it's I, I I guess something that happens, and 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 this is a movie where 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 it portrays that. I I do have to say it, it, it it's it's problematic for me. Still. Oh no, it is. Like I mean, and, and it is an issue I have with the film. Like, and I I I it's something that I I'm wary of because I understand that it's something that's used by critics who have an agenda or whatever but i i genuinely do feel uncomfortable and i think as you pointed out we would feel uncomfortable if this were a straight relationship being portrayed yeah. this way as well like and I, I i don't think i have anything uh, well sorry it's not a i suppose it's not a contest or anything like that yeah but if it, like 
I feel like I don't have too much to fear from somebody saying, well, Andrew, you're just a homophobe. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm quite confident that I'm not. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> yeah. so I, I, I and, and, and I realize because I'm a straight man that I'm more li- li- likely to, 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 to be, um, accused of that or more likely to, I guess my one concern would be that I would, that I would have kind of on, um, Conscious, unbi- yeah. conscious, uh, unconscious biases. Yeah, yeah. but it, it it's it it seems to me it seems really cut and dry. That, that while 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 this might be used by conservative commentators to kind of knock this movie, that yeah. it is a problem with the movie nonetheless. Oh yeah, no, I mean, and there are gay writers, and there are like gay gay like writers who write about sexuality in particular about depictions of homosexual like yeah desire within the homosexual community who point out that and this it, is a problematic yeah, and, it, and, and it, it probably comes with more weight coming from them than from us then it does yeah, yeah. and so we, we will include some stuff in the show notes as well we talked about the opening um oh the sequence with the the montage of like yeah. the, the and I love antiquity the, the chalk kind of um uh, oh the credits the design yeah, of the yeah. the, the name it's not, the not credits actual design. chalk but no, that no. kind of effect and in the style of handwriting as well which yeah. is very nice because it does i think it conveys a sense and the film, the film obviously cut out the material from the novel, like where the novel follows Elio for years afterwards. I think um, Luca has talked about wanting to do a series of sequels that would be like, you know, the Before Sunset films, but yeah. Richard Linklater did. So he's talked about wanting to do a series of films that would catch up with Elio and Oliver, like over the years. He wants to do a 90s one that he thinks would be interesting, Berlusconi's Italy, that sort of stuff. But I feel like even when you strip out the nostalgic elements, the sort of the flashback elements, the voiceover narration from the story that you have in, say, the novel, the the introduction with those shots of, like, um, artifacts and sculptures and models and little sort of relics. Like, down the corner, there's a driver's license from December, or sorry, a, an insurance disc from December 1983 at the very end of the, uh, of the montage. It sort of creates a sense you're almost looking at a scrapbook. It's like the film itself is a recollection of young love from a, a perspective of a young mm. lover. And I think that works very well. I think that like it creates that sort of it instills this theme of like memory and like a buried desire and all this sort of stuff, which bubbles through the rest of the film. I suppose one thing like we don't want to ruin the movie for people, but the, 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 the sexual relationship between Oliver and Elio wasn't the only sexual relationship. No. And it, it, it is quite kind of a graphic uh, por- portrayal of the other. The, 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 yeah, the, the, the female actor, like, breasts. You, you you couldn't see a penis, but you could see breasts, which I think is... Yeah, easy. and, and the, the, like, normally I love that in movies. <laughs> but the problem was, like, how old is... is, is I, I, I know, like... It's it's it, there is no way that's that that, that, that the actor is, is underage is, is underage, but still <laughs> it's kind of weird. She's it uh, also draws attention to the double standard that exists with regards to male anatomy and female anatomy yeah. on screen. Because I mean, don't like, get me wrong, Hollywood, I l- you love seeing breasts. Yeah, um, but I mean, like there is even say Game of Thrones, the HBO boobies. show. Can't we just say boobies. Okay, let's say boobies. Um, HBO <laughs> um, has an obsession no, with on boobies. A, on a matter of 
Yeah. Uh, for example, with um, obviously like Westworld Game of Thrones and stuff. Like there's a sense that the male anatomy is not similarly sort of like. No. And to the point where like, I mean, Game of Thrones, at one stage it seemed like the writers and producers were openly trolling sort of critics who had pointed this out. I think the first penis to appear on screen, are we saying penis? Let's say penis. The first penis to appear on screen in Game of Thrones was like gangry, gangrenous, gangrenous. It was like it was rotting and about to fall off being examined by a doctor as if to point out like as if like to to point out the absurdity of the idea of showing a penis on game of thrones now to be fair they've gotten better in recent years but there is this strange double standard in american culture gotten where breasts, they've, showed, they've started showing actu- more boobies they've started showing actual penises i don't think we've seen an erect penis yet but we've seen uh we've seen well, we can only hope darren <laughs> yeah, that we will <laughs> rise to the occasion um but i do i do think that we're, There's a we're weird... campaigning for more penises yeah. in... In, in on HBO and Game yeah. of Thrones. But there is, though, like, American pop culture has this weird... Fa- I suppose, to be fair, you don't see that many vaginas, but you do see breasts which are classified as a female erogenous zone more regularly than yeah, you see... There, there, there's, there's like, like, you digitally remove Army Hammer's testicles. Yeah. They, they, Sorry, that was a very enthusiastic... <laughs> um, testicles. Which is completely out of character. <laughs> <laughs> Darren is never enthusiastic, particularly not about testicles. Um, but yeah, so you were saying, Andrew? <laughs> yeah, no, the, the, that that kind of like like a, a, the, don't don't give me that in a movie. <laughs> don't give you what? Don't don't confuse me about whether I'm whether it's okay to. In, in, yeah, there, there's she's she's playing a minor, and and yeah, it's it's not it's, legally under Italian law at the time. Not and, legally under Italian law, and everyone knows legal is the only thing yeah. that matters when it comes to sexual t- yeah, consent. I can totally like come back from holidays and say, oh, she's fifteen, <laughs> but it's fine because uh, like it's fourteen there. Yeah, yeah, that that, that worked out well for. Um, uh, certain people they, they, they... <laughs> keep it vague Andrew. yeah not mention anyone's name um yeah definitely something in this movie for daddy uh, but um yeah also kind of like i don't know something is, to is make it... daddy feel conflicted i suppose it, it, it's it's it, it's the climate we live in and it's a good thing that that, that we're cognizant that, of these that facts. these things are are, are kind of coming to the fore and that there is this kind of like sea change in 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 the way we it kind of it it, it gives us pause to consider before i guess opening our mouth which is not something that i'm great at but also like when when even watching a movie is like am i okay with this you know you're 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 holding things to a certain standard i mean it can kind of ruin movies but it applies more to when you're watching older movies and yes. you're applying that that, <laughs> that kind modern of standard, standard to them but this is a movie made in uh, 2007 2016 it would have been shot yeah okay yeah we're we're like uh maybe i don't know what the ethics are of, <laughs> are we of, so far behind of, are we yeah, so far of, ahead of, of 2016 yeah. <laughs> it's been so long and i don't know yeah where maybe 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 in 2016 it's, it's when you get to 2020 they'll look okay back on 2018 to to have this very sexy moment in the movie between between two um, teenagers basically yeah yeah um, while yeah while not showing I mean, yeah it wasn't it wasn't like Spider Man Homecoming where they where they're just like very good looking <laughs> it's like they're actually taking off their clothes and getting down to it as yeah. well so yeah. where where which is 
And by the way, I guess it's something that teenagers do, but like, <laughs> I do, but, but, how, how, um, to what extent are you going to portray that? And, and, uh, well, I think it's also more the fact that like you, you are more can you're, you're more candid in portraying male and female teenagers having sex than you are in, in the two men at the center of the story having sex in that like the I, I'm, I'm i'm not i'm not pointing out the 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 double standard the, between. the problem of the double standard okay. i'm i'm wondering is it, 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 is there a point to be made in 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 the kind of like discomfort or um that i that i that i felt in that scene where i was thinking like well is is this necessary yeah or, or, or well is <laughs> Is this okay? Like, yeah. it, um, and am am I okay with this? Should the should the makers of the of, of, of the movie of, have of done this? Because as I say, love that stuff. But, <laughs> um, but uh, the, the, given the given the context, yeah. Um, of yeah. I can understand. I can understand feeling uneasy, and I felt a little bit uneasy myself. I I felt more uneasy because of the double standard. To be honest, that sort of was what was strange to me watching the film. Darren is woke. Super woke. Hold on. Uh, I like this. Let, uh, let's turn this into the woke Olympics, Andrew. I don't feel like there's a competition here. Um, I feel like you're, you're, um, I feel like your complaint is just as woke in inverted commas as mine is. Just oh, from a different God. angle. Yeah, I know. I'm giving so you a migraine. I, but I, 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 what, what I'd like to see is a growth in people subscribing to the podcast as an example of um, libtard snowflakes that they hate listen to. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's a market we can really tap into. Absolutely. Um, and I feel like... There's some people... They're who, the guys who are going to actively seek out our episode on Call Me By Your Name as well. There's, probably, there's some people who perhaps enjoy our discussion of... Of, uh, of of movies but aren't, aren't like kind of um, but, politically on the same page oh we, we got a, we got a couple of feedback with regards to when we started posting well, when I who run the social media when whoever whichever one of us who runs the social media context of the uh, podcast <laughs> began screenshotting and posting IMDB reviews of The Last Jedi um, yeah. we were both kindly informed to stick to movie reviewing thank you very much yeah but yeah, so there there is a, there is a base of that, I suppose. Yeah. So yeah, you can look forward to this. You, yeah. Uh, um, tell us how much you hate this. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could do that in several ways. I mean, yeah. are, is there anything else you want to talk about with regards to the film? Anything else that we sort of missed or, or haven't talked about it yet? No, there's, there's, there's uh, no, nothing that's kind of... Uh, we talked about um, getting on with peaches. and you know, <laughs> uh, Peachy keen, if you will. Way. Thank you. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously the symbolism of the peach as well. Um, yeah, peach being long regarded as a, a metaphor or for uh, something that is young and supple and definitely sexual. So, yeah, yeah it's not exactly subtle in its uh, in its imagery or whatever. Uh, but again, I did mention that, yeah, in, in the book, he does actually eat the peach, um, which sounds like a euphemism. I think that's a movie as well, isn't it? Eat the peach. I think it may be. Will we go to the fact machine and check that? <laughs> uh, by the way, will this, will this put me on a watch list if I search for Eat the Peach? Uh, <laughs> yes, Eat the Peach is a 1986 British-Irish comedy uh, directed by Peter Ormond. Um, it stars... No, it doesn't. Stephen Brennan, Eamon Morrissey, uh, Niall Tobin, and Bernadette O'Neill. Ah. Um, its title derives from the T.S. Eliot poem The Love Song of J. Alfred Prufrock. Yes. Continuing the trend of Darren mispronouncing very simple names. 
Um, because I don't think you had T.S. Eliot for the Leaving Cert. I did. No, I didn't. Yeah. Um, I actually missed. It's it's a great poem, actually. Oh, cool. Um, well, would you care to summarize it for us? Uh, yeah, it's uh, do it. It's, do its curves um, inspire us, daring us to desire it, Andrew? <laughs> I can't really speak with any authority on J. Alfred Prufrock. It's 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 kind of like an older man uh, <laughs> lamenting is 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 kind of um, I was going to say impotence. <laughs> kind of the the the, the, the um, not not uh, not in in the physical or sexual sense, but the, the um, existential sense. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, his utility the, or his usefulness. Yeah, there is. Read the poem. Why are you listening to me? Okay, I think. Why, 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 why did I even start? The, the, um, I think we'll include that in the show notes. Um, what is it? In, in, in the, the women come and go. Uh, do you want me to talking of Michael speaking of Michelangelo oh never mind god this is a car wreck <laughs> do you want, <laughs> bring it to the end credits do you want me to read it Andrew no <laughs> Darren reads sexy, sexy to <laughs> yeah. no 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 it's a long poem it's a very long poem um, and it's taken from from it's Dante's a, it's certainly not his l- longest poem by his <laughs> yeah, I imagine um, yeah the wasteland probably takes it by yeah yeah, yeah. but it, no it's it's um, it was one of my favourites from the Leaving Cert anyway I did T.S. Eliot and I was told not to do T.S. Eliot because he wouldn't come up and he did. Good hustle. So in your face. That'll teach you. Yeah. You showed them. I should know more about J.L. for Proofrock if I answered a Leaving Cert question. That was, um, what, 12 years ago now? 12 feel, years yeah, ago. So yeah. I feel like, yeah, this is practically your 1983 summer romance with T.S. Eliot. It's me about the stress, strengths and weaknesses <laughs> of of Hamlet. I remember one 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 what one What strength did Hamlet have? Well, like, <laughs> I, I, I I had He doesn't do anything impulsively. I had post-it notes on 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 my wall saying the strengths um of Hamlet and post-it notes on on the other side of the wall saying the weaknesses of Hamlet. And that's the only preparation I did for I was supposed to do more. <laughs> and then the question was um Hamlet <laughs> is a character as much admired for his strengths as for his weaknesses. And it's like, yes. <laughs> score blessed yeah. T.S. Eliot and Hamlet nice yeah. good call um, yeah no I uh, one of the yeah one of my geeky tangent yeah tangent upon a tangent upon a tangent yeah my proudest grade is I, I somehow got an A in English on the leaving cert which I'm very very proud of yeah and it's not your uh, native language no um, surprisingly enough it speaks in Kosa <laughs> But anyway, in the meantime, um, you can follow us on Twitter. You can find us online. Where can we find you, Andrew? You can, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at um, a q u i n n i u q a. I I I need to find some some um, or maybe I should start writing something and and <laughs> and, and, and then or are like sending tweets regularly um, and then as opposed then to just getting notifications more when... comfortable about, about plugging my Twitter it seems like the thing that people do at the end of podcasts it's just a and I don't want to be left out Aww. yeah Okay, well, you can you can follow me at Darren underscore Mooney. Um, I'm also, I have a book out opening the X-Files, which you can order online from Amazon.co.uk, Amazon.com. This weekend as well, we should be yeah, relaunching. Yeah, da- Darren, Darren's having a really tough time. We should, um, <laughs> we this... should support him by buying his book. Um, this weekend, I'm, I'm, we're also, I'm also well, helping. Your book's doing great, by the way. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, and we're also relaunching the Scanon podcast. So you should be able to hear me on that sometime over the, the coming yeah, week or so. Darren's slowly getting started. 
stolen away from me. <laughs> um, little by little. Um, in this... So if you want, if 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 you want more Darren, specifically without Andrew, <laughs> going, uh... but with three random other people, <laughs> yeah. um, give it a go. You can also follow the two fifty at the two fifty. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes. Um, it's been a while since we've done this anyway. So if you like us, please feel free to share us uh, and to give us high ratings because that'll allow other people to find us and it'll allow us to do. Yeah. Yeah, Leave which, a review as well. Yeah. Um, if it's positive, tell everybody. If it's negative, tell us. All right, take it easy, guys. See you next week. Bye. Visions of Gideon Visions of Gideon